Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both players have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. So we had David Goff on, well, we didn't have him on, Game On, on <laughs> uh, RT had him on on Monday night. And I was reading the quotes on Tuesday and he was saying that Kieran Brannigan was completely correct at three minutes on at the end of additional time. Um, so he said, when you see an incident of, of serious injury or blood injury, when I'm engaging with Hawkeye um, in relation with a score, if there's a substitute happening, if I'm dealing with a melee or I'm consulting with umpires, I press the button on my watch. Uh, or if it's a goalkeeper coming up to take a free kick. So he was listing out the, re- the, the occasions where he would stop the watch um, at any time during the game, never mind extra time. So Pat McAnini was on our show and he was, under, he, he was of the opinion that he would only uh, stop the watch for injuries and for substitutions. So I'm not sure that's entirely correct. Obviously, unless if the, if the, if the booking... Say if there's a booking and the player's right beside you and you give him the flash the yellow card and it's all done pretty quickly, you probably wouldn't stop the watch for that. It's part of the game. So I don't think Pat's wrong on that. But on the occasion where Kieran Brannigan couldn't find the two players and you have to consult your umpire what happened, mm. you know, you're going to stop the watch in those occasions. So I don't think Pat was taking that into consideration. And maybe referees are under instruction. Pat hasn't been chairman of the referees committee for three years. So maybe they're under more instructions now to cut down on this kind, kind of, you know, maybe time wasting or, you know, cynical, cynical uh, play. Yeah. And like you do, you, when we hammer referees a lot, but you do see that the best of them, you know, rushing when it's getting towards the end of the game. Like they're, they're involved in the match as well and they are game management. So when they think a, a player is wasting time, you'll see them starting to wave and play on or they'll try and give the card quickly and move on so they don't have to account for that at a time. Like, yeah. So it was an interesting, David, because David uh, was texting you back and he said that we can obviously read it out. So he went a bit deeper into it and he said, if a booking is almost instantaneous, we don't really stop. We know the player's name. It's probably pre-written in a referee's booklet to speed up the process. We might just put a uh, jot down um, RP for rough play beside it it's all very quick but if I'm consulting with officials in relation to an off the ball um, infractions or I'm booking two or three players at once then I will use my watch to count up this time that makes perfect sense I do like the way he has the players lists already and he's mm. not writing out the names there's nothing used to annoy me more at inter-county level what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> you know you know my name like, do you not you, know who I am? You, no, you act like a petulant child <laughs> yeah. you know my name but it's worse at club level they know you well yeah. name <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it used to drive me you in your place. and you're already annoyed that this is not a deserved yellow yeah, yeah. so you're actually walking away come back and yeah. 
it's even worse. Than, did you ever get booked in soccer? Like, it was a completely culture change with the referees in soccer. There are assholes referees in soccer. They're completely like school principals. <laughs> student type of relationship it's right. I don't know when I don't like authority I just didn't like it but uh, yeah so that's it and David Goff actually said 30 seconds is not added on per substitute so Pat yeah. was wrong on that one as well he said that you stop the watch so a substitute could take 7 seconds or it could take 40 seconds it depends on how long it takes the sub to come on and the other player to leave the field you know the way they drag their arse trying mm. to get off the field that could take very very quick you know quick amount of time or it could take a lot of time and again if two substitutions happen at the same time that's not two thirties yeah that's stopping yeah. the watch for both of them well for both to come on and for both to leave the field uh, yeah I got a big kick out of David Goff explaining the actual watch that he uses because he said that like um, when he stops to say for when you're on about there when he's booking a player that takes a long time it constantly vibrates so to let him know that when you know when he's done that he has to tap, tap it again just yeah. in case he'd add, he'd add on more time but just what he said there about like you know booking a player and it's often quick and he might down write down RP I don't know I think this comes back to how ref, different refs you know interpret games differently because I like while David Goff might be quick like I can think of like, Morris Deegan from Leash anytime I've seen in ref games he t- actually tends to take a long time when he's booking players yeah. and not necessarily add it on at the end that's when it comes back to interpretation again and I th- think that's the, the biggest problem like across the board we talked about Kieran Brannigan at the weekend whereas Sean Hurston I was watching the Mayo Me game and Mayo were blessed that there was no time added on after they allotted four minutes so yeah. I think that's what people have the issue with I do I, do, I kind of laughed about the you know the vibrating watch or whatever like I mean you're in Croke Park there's 70,000 people like don't tell me there's not occasions where like you know three minutes later you're Running around. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> Just watch the environment. My whole extra time is gone. Yeah. <laughs> shit! I'm just going to make something up. Yeah. Just go two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Because nobody can prove this, and they're humans. There's no way you, you remember yeah. every time because there's people shouting at you here. There's a highly pressured, and suddenly it's just oh my god! I'm just cancelling <laughs> that, and, then, and I'm just going to make this tick on my wrist. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's definitely happened. Like, definitely. You know, there's referees no. looking sheepish in the middle. Oh of the yeah, 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 yeah. There's no doubt about that. But this is the thing. I find this very interesting and I find it very important. And he's talking about uh, he only adds on time for a goalkeeper coming up. So he allows the normal free taking routine or whatever. But if a goalkeeper, again, is dragging his arse coming up and trying to waste time, just stop the clock and add it on. That's fine. That makes sense to me. But what I kind of am interested in is every referee doing the same thing. How do yeah. players know what's wasting time and what's not? How do fans in the stadium know what's... Because when the timekeeping is so transparent, 35 minutes, then a board is handed up for six minutes. Now all of a sudden, everyone in the ground is in the dark and it seems to be conflicting reports on what referees add time on for. I think players deserve to know what wastes time and what doesn't. <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean? Because that, well, that's not that they deserve to know. At least I think the fans... If timekeeping wasn't that important... Why give us the extra time at all then? Do you know what I mean? This this thing of three and four minutes being added on to the extra time, I don't like it. Yeah, I, I would trust that, that they've been sort of enforced to all go out and do the same thing. They all know the rules or whatever. I just hope that they are sort of following it all. But maybe... Yeah, maybe there should be something, I don't know if it's a press conference or something, but like, you know, some sort of education because there was a lot of articles over the weekend where people were adding up time. We were talking about it on Monday, not necessarily knowing that, say, 30 seconds isn't added on for a sub. Like, there needs to be some sort of thing where everybody's pulled together, referees, coaches and the, the media, yeah. so that when this happens again, we're all on the same page and we know what's happening. Another thing Goff told you, which I, I was amazed at, is that if there's four minutes and ten seconds added time, they round up to five. I think he said that to RT, yeah. He said that to RT or yeah. said it to you. That's unbelievable. Like, an All-Ireland could be lost on what he's rounded up. <clears throat> Think yeah. about it. Yeah. What's yeah. wrong with four minutes yeah. and ten seconds? Yeah, that's probably <laughs> time that he didn't get the vibrate to stop. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, though, rounding up. Like, there's a lot of shit can happen in that 50 yeah. seconds. He shouldn't have said four minutes and ten seconds. Yeah. He should have said four minutes and 45 yeah, seconds. Yeah, then yeah, you'd yeah. understand it. Oh, that's a good minute there, David. All I would have thought four minutes and ten seconds, you round down. down. That's, massive. Yeah. that's basic yeah. mathematics. But anyways, we leave that there. Anyways, hopefully we cleared it up. I'm not sure we have, if we're yeah. <laughs> being honest. Um, GE revenues, lads. So... 
Good news for the GEA is that they had 16% increase in their revenues. They went from 63.5 million to 73.9. So they released their annual reports, uh, fin- annual financial reports, and um, that was in Crow Park during the week. So there's a 22% increase in gate receipts. That's what accounted for a lot of the increase. We know they increased ticket prices and attendances, um, I think, were up as well. So football championship went from 12.7 million to 18.2 million. It's a huge jump, but they got three million extra from the All Ireland uh, replay. But it would still be up even without that. The hurling went up from ten point two to ten point five million. Football league went up from three million, three point five million, and the hurling league stayed the same at two million. Now this is all a good news kind of uh, story. We know the GA pump a lot of that money back, most of that money back into the game at grassroots level, games development, capital projects, all those kind of things, and that's fantastic. But kind of. Um, the headline that was kind of coming out of it, which was, I don't know whether it deserved to be, was the costs of the inter-county uh, teams. So the, the 32 counties, the costs came to 29.74 uh, million in 2019. And uh, Tom Ryan said this was an increase of 11.6 over the previous year, a trend that simply cannot continue. He said, quite apart from this, it's not desirable. Yes, counties will invariably secure the funds they need, but at the cost of immense pressure on the officers. This outlay represents a huge proportion of our collective resources. Right. So then he started talking about spending caps and he's like, the solution may well lie with with the rules and spending caps. I'm hesitant only because our track record with similar rules based enforcement around county teams is mixed. The solution has to start with a collective recognition that we take collective responsibility and start to reverse the trend now. So I think most people would be in agreement that spending costs are going very, very high. Um, You know how to stop that a spending, a spending um, cap probably would make sense, but will that just drive it under? You know what I mean? Will they, will they get donations that they don't declare then and just, you know, one county is cheating and the other is not? It's not, it's not easy to, to actually know how to roll back on the kind of professional standards that are required and wanted by most players now. And is it, is it completely necessary to do that? Like, I don't think we should be afraid to be spending that much money like it's human nature to to push boundaries and improve and you know grow as people and as a game and you know the the the, the revenue's gone up for the GA and I think a lot of that is down to how great the game's becoming and like yeah I don't want to use the word professional but like everyone everything is becoming better like you know when people want to know more like the athletes want to know more and the fans the media they want to learn more from it and I don't think we should be afraid of the amount of money that we're spending on the, in the county game but just the only thing on that is that we've seen countless examples of teams that have been trying to keep up with Dublin for example and their spending has completely gone out of the control county boards can't afford it that's the problem yeah you know like I mean and whether the solution here is Dublin can afford it. A lot of teams try to copy Dublin's professionalism. They run into debt. They can't afford it. Like, is the solution here to pool all sponsorship money and, it is. and, and divvy it out equally? Because it, there is a serious, like, imbalance in what one county can afford. Then Kerry can go over to New York and raise millions. Mayo can do it on gala dinner dances. Leash can't do it. They don't have the, the superstars with all their medals yeah. to, to be able to get it doesn't seem fair like the rich are getting richer and the other teams are struggling badly with the type of costs that are, are required so so I've always agreed with that like you know, we should we should be pulling the sponsorship and like you know give everybody a, a fair chance but not everybody needs to spend in the same place so I don't think putting a spending cap on it is the right, right way to go I think making everybody uh, making a level playing field for everyone is the proper way to go but like let let the game grow and let people invest where they need to invest. Yeah, the big the biggest cost, obviously, to intercounty uh, preparations, I would imagine, is mileage, right? Yeah. So outside of Dublin, catering, right? Massive costs in catering because now every county board you'd imagine has a deal with a catering company, and we're talking about hot meals after every training session and after every match. And that's a good bit. So catering is a big one. Then obviously gear, equipment, uh, things like that. And yeah, and, and, the, and the mileage. The GPA have, got, have gotten the hump from all of this because they're three things that they, the GPA drive, right? So they increase the mileage uh, rate. Uh, they demand gear, um, boots, uh, gym membership, all things like that 
to county boards for players too and they demand hot meals after every training session so they drive the catering costs now they are new costs pretty much because when I was playing there was no hot meals after every training session you might uh, towards the end uh, the mileage has gone up that was always there but um, and obviously the gear situation is a big cost as well I don't think the GPA need to apologise for any of the three of those. They're basic requirements for inter-county players that are not out of pocket on mileage. They get correct gear, they get the correct uh, gym membership and they get the correct meals after training, after driving to training. That's, they can't be rolled back on. So I'm wondering what these, what are the costs outside that? Like, you know, you have nutritionists. Mm. A nutritionist wouldn't be at every training session, I wouldn't imagine. to be con- there in a consultancy capacity where they talk to the panel a couple of times. Physio, medical is a huge bill. Now, mm. do you want to roll back on medical? You can't. Do you know, this is just the costs of preparing an intercounty team. I was thinking then the backroom teams, geez, they must be costing that, a fortune. That was me, yeah. But are they though? When you think about it, who's getting paid? A lot of it's volunteer um, uh, based, like a goalkeeping coach. Would he be getting paid an ex probably goalkeeper within the county? Some, yeah, they might yeah. and they might not. I don't know. I was thinking, immediately I'm thinking backroom teams. That's the problem. It's not. It's the bread and butter. Those costs are probably going, you know, going up. But we can't go back on them. Probably the professional roles in the backroom teams, like the conditioning coaches and yeah, S and C is definitely one. Yeah, you know, analysis. But yeah, but like I, I think a lot of counties, they're they're volunteers too. But I, I think these have made the game better as well. Anyway. Yeah, like, and we don't yeah. want to go back on no, that. No, I don't think so. But the GBA obviously think that it's the it's those expenses that you're on about that the GA are on about because they kind of like uh, I think we might get into the statement and I think a lot of it was justified, but it seemed just a little bit defensive to me because I thought it was okay for what the GBA to say, but it's also okay for the GA to say that the level of Spending on inter-county teams has gone way too high. Well, it's it's gone way too high. But look at what they're generating, right? Yeah. So, like, they're they're funding the whole GEA, inter-county teams. And like Conan said, would they be funding them with an inferior product without the level that this game has gone to? I don't know, like, really would it? And do you want players to be treated well? Like, I mean, there's an argument out there that players should get some sort of a slice of this pie. All they're asking for is to be treated, you know, very well, and as county managers demand these all these uh, uh, all these levels and preparation as well, and they don't ever get the same bad press as the GPA get, who are the players' union. Yeah. You know, the GPA are in a position where their their PR is terrible, and I was off, often critical of them because they weren't militant anymore, and they didn't. Uh, the big thing for me was championship structures, and that's still the big thing for me is that if the inter county season is shortened. So you don't have those costs over nine months. You have them over five or six. Do you know, you're saving money. And one big cost uh, reduction would be to cancel training camps. Who needs training camps? They're not professionals. They get it. Like, they are a help. But I don't think players even like training camps, especially the older players. They're home from work on a Friday. They're collected then for training camp. They're not back till Sunday night. Mm. Good luck if you have two or three children. It's poxy. And then you're into bed and back up to the, the slog of your week again. Mm. I, don't think, I don't think players, I think managers are driving those rather than players. You know, do a, a full day Saturday in your own county. And, you know, do a morning and evening session. It's enough. And that would save costs. I saw a tweet from um, John Harron in Donegal. He was talking about the cost of overnight stays before league games. So do you really need to stay overnight the night before a league game? Best practice would say you would. Well, there's 10 grand straight away mm. on your hotel and your meals and stuff like that. So there's probably ways that you can roll back on it without kind of maybe compromising the professionalism. We need the strength and conditioning coach. Like that goes without yeah. saying. Like, and some of these fellas probably don't come too cheap. I don't, I don't know. Like the GPA, the GPA did get very defensive. And I think in some ways they're right though, because yeah, no, I, do, I, yeah, I don't I like this idea that the inter-county game is, the, and the CPA and the, the club players, and they all, we all would agree with this. But inter-county players are club players too. It's not their fault. It's often managers driving this kind of stuff and they don't get the blame. The GPA, the players' union, are getting slated for this. Yeah. Now, we understand a little bit about their salaries and all that kind of thing and that's justified criticism. What, what is their salaries? And, like, do they need to waste time doing Super 11s and things like this? But when it comes to the welfare of inter-county players, I'll make no apologies for being right behind the, the, the GPA. So they're talking about... In their statement, it was very uh, strong considering that the GEA are complaining about how much this costs. 
when they are talking about the GEA proudly stated in the publication of their annual accounts that for every one euro revenue it takes in, it reinvests 84 cent across the association for which it would be rightly commended. Approximately 90% of those revenues are generated through the inter-county game. 49% by gate receipts, 27 by commercial incomes, that which is, includes sponsorship and media, 14 by distribution from Croke Park. Like, I mean... That's the GEA should be thanking the intercounty players yeah. rather than criticising it. And like, who's to like? I don't like intercounty players being held responsible for how far the game has gone. They're not. They're not. The the only thing I'll say about it is that like uh, the GPA mentioned um, that it was the GEA's problem child. I think, and there was a line there saying that uh, we've seen this ploy of painting intercounty games in negative light, used consistently to keep players down to make them feel like they're lucky to be involved in the games, right? Yeah. So I get that. I get that completely from, let's say, going back over recent years, that argument has been levelled at inter-county players. But I just thought in this instance that the, the main takeaway from the GA report, as we said, was the, the fact that just the cost of running inter-county team is spiralling, which I thought yeah. is fair enough to no, say. No, it's fair enough. But why are the GPA so reluctant to shorten the inter-county bloody season? They don't want to give away yeah. the, the, the burn Cup games. And what's that doing? It's adding extra months onto all these costs, which are mileage, catering, and you know the the big ones, mm. and then the S and C coaches or whatever these people are. If it's going to be extra, why don't they shorten it? That will complete. That will cut it two thirds. That's what we want to shorten it. They won't do that. Why won't they do it? And ban training camps, ban team holidays, ban all those things. And if teams want to have, I know in, when there was closed season, county boards were supposed to not pay, not pay expenses during that time. And they used to have trainings anyways and the players would be expected to do it for nothing. Yeah. Like the GPA under Paul Flynn wouldn't stand for that. I know they wouldn't. There's a way of doing this to fix it without rowing back on the type of professionalism that, if we're being honest, that supporters want, that most of the players want and the type of preparation that is needed to to, to have the product we have during the summer, which shuts down the whole country, which m- contributes massively to the Irish economy, and they have figures on that as well, and that shouldn't be overlooked. This is a juggernaut during the summer that players do for nothing. And the, the GPA are their union, and they're involved, and they only care about the welfare of these players that contribute so much to the, G- the GA and to the Irish life. And they shouldn't be criticised for wanting the best for them, yeah, ever. And like one of the biggest figures to come out from the GA report as well was that the top 14 executives are earning 1.76 million, which I think works out at an average of 125 grand. So then you have, you know, John Horn is probably up on, you know, maybe a quarter of a million or something like that. So when you look at those figures... We don't know that for sure. I know, you, you know, but like you're just speculating that the, C, <laughs> the, the, the CEO is going to be... You're speculating, Connor. I'm speculating, <laughs> on, and not, not on behalf of the GAR. But just then you see the ref, re, revenues of 73.9 million. All that this Indicon report that the GPA have commissioned that's going to uh, highlight the GA's contribution to the economy. And if you're like, if you're a player looking at all this and you're thinking, well, I know like that's what the GA are being paid. It's a GPA are being paid this is the revenue we're generating how long are we going to be happy to just take this sustainable amateurism that Paul Flynn is talking about and I think like you know the, the current generation player, of players have grown up with being amateur and they're more kind of willing to accept it but more and more and the more money that she is going to rev- is, is going to generate the players aren't going, aren't going to be happy to just take what they're getting at the moment Yeah yeah. I, I just don't like in the midst of uh, like celebrating the increased revenue and the gate receipts and everything the Tom Ryan saying this can't continue the spending and I can I could, I could understand why Paul Flynn and the GPA would be ticked off. Yeah, by me like, too. Because it, uh, it, yeah, go on. And like you can't, you can't go back. Like you know, we, I know we're an amateur organization, but you can't just suddenly go back to training twice a week and and pretending like you know we don't know that there's something else out there that we can p- keep pushing on and make the game better. Like and. Uh, I think what part of the statement that said that you know with the the intercounty game is important for fending off rugby and soccer for hearts and minds in the country. I completely agree with that, and I think the stronger the intercounty game is. I know there's a fixture sort of quabble, but the stronger the intercounty game is, then the the more important it is in Irish society. And yeah, look at Dublin. That's the example. Like it's cool to play for Dublin. Everybody yeah. wants to play GA now because of Dublin. The C- the formation of the CPA created, and there's nothing wrong with the formation of the CPA, but it did create an us versus them situation. And that should never happen. Mm-hmm. The intercounty game should be something the club players are massively proud of. And they are. They go to support their county team. The problem is the structure of... And listen, this is going on the last 10 years and I'm sick of it. It's the, it's the structure of the season pits people against each other, yeah. has, spending out <clears throat> yeah. of, has spending out of control because the intercounty season's too long and it's creating all these bloody issues. 
and it needs to be ripped up and started again and that fixes everything now we can have an intercounty season over five months that a complete intense five months not a dribs and drabs nine months and it can have a good club season and the cost will be down in intercounty and we can all be happy well I wouldn't want the five month season that's too short like, <laughs> I, I, that's I, love, too short. I love watching football too much and I know there's club football there but like we're all invested we all talk about the county six game. months then say March, Give April, May, June, July, August six months March to August is enough is mm. enough which is nearly combined what it is at the moment without the breaks, really. Because well, like well, three months in, three months in, uh, two months in the in the spring for the league, the, the guts of, and then three, four months in the in the summer in the summer for championship. So if you condense them together, yeah. yeah. Well, you see, you have the January month of the of the of the preseason, and that sends them back two months previous. Yeah. I think if you started, even if you started in February. And 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 only had January as pre- say January is your preseason. That's more than yeah. enough because they'll tip away in the gym themselves. These lads are machines now. They're not like mm. where you come back with a big belly on you. Say start in February, finish at the end of July. They're they're your six months, and your intercounty season is seven months. Then from January yeah. the first, no expenses will be paid. No management payments, no catering costs, no nothing outside of January the first and July the thirty first. There we go. Club season then after that. See you after. Just fixed it there now. <laughs> no, but that's it, lads. I, I, I think it's a, it's definitely an interesting one, and it, it is, lads. It's very interesting seeing the GPA being back. Like we have not seen the GPA. Yeah, Paul Flynn again. Fair play. Paul Flynn again. Since he, there's been a notable change in him since there he's has. taken over. There really has. And listen, when you look at it, who's the power with here? The powers with Paul Flynn. Based on those numbers, what happens without the intercounty players? Nothing. The GA is gone. There's no new clubhouses. There's no new facilities. There is no club. There's you'll have a club game, and that will be that will be it. Do you know? And it'll be like the the League of Ireland. All the stadiums will start becoming dilapidated, and there'll be no money in the game, and that'll be it. He holds all the aces here. So you, I think the GPA for too long were kind of going cap in hand to the GA. Please give us a few quid, and we'll do whatever mm-hmm. you want. I don't think that should be the. That's not the bargaining. I wouldn't imagine that's the bargaining tactics Paul Flynn uses yeah I think a lot of clubs might argue that they're self-sufficient themselves like and they do all their fundraising and like you know that they've built clubhouses on their own half back. and half they get, they get GEA they would, grants yeah. no, they don't like, do anything without GEA grants for any of that capital uh, spending that was one thing though I didn't like in Paul Flynn's statements just like that little it was just basically saying the club game wouldn't be the community and the organisation it is without the GPA I, I think it still would that's where it came from yeah no, I think the GEA would be a lot worse without the county game but that was just one thing that I thought I think we could have a strong club game without the county but who wants that yeah but maybe not the facilities you'd say no, without yeah. all that millions like I mean it, it, and when it goes back in Conor McKenna another bit of news here we have Johnny Cooper coming up in part <coughs> two Conor McKenna um, he's been homesick he was home last year for his brother's wedding and took a month out um, during the season now he's left to come home is it four weeks before the start of the season? He's homesick again and I'm not sure it's Essendon he's with or they're not sure when he's coming back. Um, it's definitely a very interesting one. He is apparently best friends with um, Carl McShane who's just landed a big job in a steel company. So are we going to see a handshake with, uh, with Connor and this same steel company? What better way? No one will buy steel in Tyrone. Yeah. If, if they secure Carl McShane and Connor McKenna I'd go up and buy whatever steel I need off to, my, off to myself. What kind of PR is that lads? For two, all the customers to two salaries per year if the boys do nothing scratch their arses. Yeah. <laughs> don't need to advertise again. <laughs> have to say I don't know anything about Connor McKenna as a Gaelic footballer um, I don't remember the minors when he was there um, centre half forward apparently unbelievable see the clips of him with the compromise rules and he's a player that you could tell you would immediately love a kind of all action no standing mm. back with this fella I remember seeing him for um, St Pat's Armagh in the McCrory Cup just in, in and out of full forward and centre forward and just he could do everything he was hitting really? 45s he was hitting free kicks off the outside of his boot he was scoring off his left you know with three men working him Jesus scoring goals. he scored 1-7 in one of those games I remember that like, right. they lost you know it was all him so Mickey Hart will have him as a sweeper then <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like the way you're playing halfback out in Australia there <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could do more. I could really use you on the counter attack <laughs> Alright, so like you said, uh, Johnny Cooper's up next and I, I was doing a bit of research for Johnny. I'm going to blow my own trumpet here, lads, because this is a great quote altogether and it's from me. Um, and I didn't remember it or I would have been crowing about it the morning after the all Ireland final, but I found it, it was on, it was from one of the podcasts and uh, 
this is what I said to, about Johnny Cooper in in the summer of 2018. <clears throat> it wouldn't it would have been no harm him getting sent off yesterday because Cooper's floating too close to the line now. I like the way Cooper plays. I think every every team needs someone like him. But Johnny Cooper is going to get a red card in a big game and it's going to cost him. Well, oh my when, god, when was this? <laughs> It was in 2018, right. summer of 2018. Did you say to, to wait Johnny? two years, pardon? Did you say it to Johnny? No, no, this was just <laughs> in my analysis. Fantastic stuff uh, there, right? really good. When you sent it, it was one of those ones I had no put down for you. It's like, <laughs> all right, yeah, you called it. Okay, right, so Johnny, like I said, um, I was talking to him yesterday. He was launching Avonmore Protein Gold. Um, so that's up next after the break. I've had fellas follow me and not just carplets you know what I mean mm. it happens it happens yeah. and it does happen but I'll tell you one thing it's a lonely spot and the best thing you can do is keep moving and I thought Connolly looked to be trying to do yeah. that the last time yeah. the camera show doesn't look great yeah there was um, maybe if they could say it was theatrical or whatever but like the reality is that there was contact and um, I wasn't trying to win a penalty I was trying to go out and win the ball you know actually it's funny your man Conan what's his name on, the, on your programme like I, I was wondering if he had the same match as me. He was kind of making out very but unlucky to lose. Like, Johnny, how's it going? Great. How is the body? We haven't seen you yet this year. You're not cropped or anything. No, not yet. Not uh no, still there. Came back from holidays a bit later, so still trying to get back up to the same level as the lad. Right, okay. So you, you went on the team holiday and stayed on or something, was it? Yeah, I went on the team holiday in just the next few days uh, down that part of the world, down near Australia. So uh, yeah, had a nice time, bit of a reset, bit of a break and a uh, bit of sun. What's it been like celebrating the five in a row? Is it been, have the celebrations been more than other years? Like it's never been done in the history of the GEA. More than other years, it's hard to, I guess, compare them. But uh, we certainly had a great off season. Lots of different opportunities to to be out with each other, which is great. Which is to, you know, really, uh, you know, obviously the you get the victory and that's really important but also when you get to share experiences and company with the rest of the lads and you're getting to know them in different ways and you're getting to meet their families and their better halves and, and their extended families it's just really unique in that respect so yeah you definitely get a good few opportunities and loads of different I guess insights into people and as I said experience which you wouldn't typically get Yeah Is there a danger this year right so you've done the five in a row and I know you were saying in the lead up to the five in a row look we're not thinking about it we're not thinking about it but I'm sure when she did it you were able to appreciate what an incredible achievement it was and now this year that's been done is there like do you talk about maybe not switching off you know the danger for that to, to happen yeah I think I think that's a good point I think the complacency thing is always probably there and now it's just said the, the, the history of the five in a row part kind of you know does it come in and it does it play a part in a different way um, I think there's enough older and experienced lads there maybe to warn and to guard off that however in saying that it's probably still a, I guess a risk um, in some ways that people all the stuff might cave in and certainly all the plaudits and all the claps in the backs which is very dangerous in many ways would also lead to a sense of entitlement or a sense of, of something in that respect so um, you know we certainly enjoyed it for what it was we took it all in our stride as best as we could but obviously now new management team and everything else we're trying to get back down just to the shoulder to wheel and hard work and look forward to what's coming this year yeah so of course Jim Gavin's not going to be there there'd be no complacency when he was there not saying there would be under Desi but that must have come as a shock to all of you right like I mean it was a huge shock for everyone outside the camp um, I know James Dales and Ace, lucky enough, uh, started working with him, so I've known him a long time. Yeah. Um, not much surprising me with Jim, I do know and appreciate the amount of time that he gives, but to give that time that he did give to the Dublin senior football team, he, he you know took away from his work and his family, and so I'm acutely aware of all the other pressures that he had, so look, when, it went, when he said it to us, um, it's like I guess knowing something for any knowing something for any period of time. The first you know few days is okay. What will they do next? Certainly, we didn't have a manager at the time, so it's that bit of unknown. Um, and he put a lot into the, as much as he could him and his management group. Um, I, I must add as well. So I'm um, certainly looking forward and having Desi. I know him from from the club since I was this high watching him play all the way up. So. It's great to get to work with them now in that capacity and see how we can help each other. Yeah, I want to talk to you about the sending off in the other and final, if that's okay. Did you think you deserved to get sent off? Yep. Yeah, because you remonstrated with Goff, but like, I mean, I'm sure that was just playing the game, trying to put a doubt in his mind. Did you know when the foul was committed 
I'm gone here or uh, so the the question the I asked, one. yeah no the question I asked him was what was the fail or the offence for so I was just clarifying in my own head what what was it for um, I didn't know if it was going to be useful we could have obviously lost the game and maybe but I did want it in my head I want the clarification exactly what it was for um, right. so that's what it would have been um, did I deserve it yes did I leave myself in those positions and whose fault is that it's mine um, so look people say they're tight calls people have opinions one way or the other. Um, but from my point of view, it certainly was something that was um, um, deserved. Yeah. How did that feel watching that game, knowing that you couldn't help and that you'd potential to be scapegoated afterwards for the five in a row? Yeah. Um, so when you walk off the pitch and whatever, maybe it's a 50 meter walk or probably um, feels like a 500 meter walk in some respects. But, but I was very conscious to come off the pitch with with a composed duck because I knew that those five at that time after I got sent off those um, or six maybe substitutions still to come on so I, I knew people would be looking at me from that respect a couple of minutes later you have a 15 minute half time break so you know people will be looking at you in that respect so you're trying to make sure comms uh, communications body language and your eye can't contact is up just as it would be if you were playing um, that must have been hard was it it was a massive challenge um, I don't know uh, how well I did at it but it was certainly very much something that was in my conscious mind to to influence in the very little way that I could but influence the group as best as I could certainly watching the game initially and then obviously in the second half um, with with knowing that what was coming was coming straight between my eyes um, and that's certainly in your head and there's not much you can do at that stage you've left yourself in that position so um, yeah a challenging experience I'd say in the whole five in a row you have unbelievable memories but the last 12 minutes of that game considering that your neck could potentially be on the line for being blamed how proud you must have felt of the players a man down chasing Kerry down like they had a man up Exactly, and it's, it's such a great thing to see, and even seeing a bit with, with our recent game against Monon, guys kind of hunting in packs and working together and using each other, and just so yeah, like and I, you know, the 2019 season is very much and deservedly so, and because of the work that they all put in, I probably contribute, contributed conversely to that. So I was trying now this year to maybe go the opposite direction and add a bit more value than I did last year. Yeah, I want to talk to you about corner back play. You don't bomb up the field like you used to. Off the ball. Getting older. Oh, is, that, is that it? Because a feature of Crow Park you playing cornerback used to be you would just take off under the Hogan stand unmarked. Like, no, I'm not, I don't mean jogging up there. You would go in like a, a full-on sprint. Mm. And obviously we know that that's half trying to get on the ball and half trying to kind of tire your man out. But when did you make the decision to kind of stop doing that? I don't think I ever made a decision. I was probably told not to go up there anymore. <laughs> um, they had enough lads up the top to try, but... Um, yeah, look, maybe it's something that will come back. I think it just happens maybe naturally in a play or you see an opportunity and maybe they just haven't come about as much. Um, it's certainly something I could work on and um, we'll try to get better at, I guess. But is it something you would obviously talk about as a team, not to clog up space up there maybe or something? Um, yes and no. I, I think anyone has the license. If you see a bit of space and you see an opportunity, using your own game intelligence to go and exploit that opportunity. Um, you know, we have a very formidable... Um, set of players that can play in the halfback line onwards in terms of attacking um, you know and certain guys like myself maybe are more inclined to the defensive side of the house whether that's right or wrong um, but no it's something that was never really spoken about as such um, just kind of more kind of fell and the cards fell that way really yeah when did you kind of change in your mind to kind of really enjoying the defending side of things because you were all, in my memory of you, you were always a wing back and we were joking before we started here of us marking each other and you wouldn't have been you, you were a footballing wing back mm. and, and now you're known as a like a, a, a cornerback who prides himself on marking when that must have taken a bit of an adjustment um, I, I probably wasn't good enough to play halfback um, at, the, at the time in terms of starting my inter-county career so um, you know the guy Jim actually uh, would have you know tried me in cornerback and fullback he, I would have been focused enough and would have had a good attention to detail and he probably saw that as a, a good trade for a cornerback or somebody to go and mark an opposition threat um, I would have played all my football up to minor um, and a little bit beyond but up to minor certainly around half-back centre-back wing-back so I'm very comfortable in those positions I love it out there um, but I think full-back for me kind of removes the safety net yes you have a goalkeeper but there's no safety net anymore which I like that it can go as it has against you but uh, it can also work for you and really that attention to detail can be the deciding factor and again you can get it wrong sometimes are you you're one of the obsessive players on the Dublin team like Cluxton are you Cluxton had a laptop out after the the re for the all-in replay Jim is on record saying trying to obsessively look at his foot position not to make that mistake again 
some of the players might not be like that, but apparently you're, you know, kind of obsessive about little details like that as well. Yeah, it's not the best trait to have, but uh, <laughs> I found out in lots of different ways on and off the pitch, but um, I, I am. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing, but it works for me in lots of ways. It hasn't at times. I've got the balance completely lopsided um, for sports and I'm not putting enough attention to other parts of my life. So, um, But I just find it very, very interesting how can you take another sport or another perspective or another opinion and map it onto your world and then crunch the two of them together and get one or five or ten percent better um, or, or certainly try to seek it out it doesn't always work that way so um, yeah obsessive and some people maybe think it's a negative word or something that isn't maybe necessarily good I am obsessive yeah so you're you're there a couple of hours before training with Cluxton working on your own little bit and he's kicking balls out or doing whatever he's doing yeah, yeah, there's a couple of lads and they joined the, the early club, but uh, we were certainly there just doing different things, talking through different things, stretching, um, analysis, whatever, meetings, whatever we happen to do. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy it. It's not for everyone, certainly not for everyone. People want to just come up to half an hour and that, that floats their boat and that's fine with me too, but for the world and the opportunity I have, that's what I do. Yeah, exactly. We're talking about cornerback plays. They're getting more challenging now because we know for the, the way the game had evolved that there was a lot of a running game. And from my analysis of you, maybe or the Dublin fullback line, you'd mark from the front, mm -hmm. never a huge threat of a ball going over your head, mm -hmm. and you were, you know, destroying your your opposition. Mm -hmm. Now that threat is there more. Would it be right in saying where you know you might have to reanalyze you know your, your style of play potentially I, I think so i think that's brilliant you're getting a certain a different stimulus put against you it's not just the same roundabout same roundabout and you can get comforts in that as well i think there's a different stimulus now coming away with the advanced mark players naturally enough are getting better opponents are getting better and um, you can have different looks different feels patterns are harder to to break down and to research and to get on top of um, which again Look, and it could work against you, and it could be my words, but again, if you're talking about defending, the art of defending, and you're talking about researching and plugging all the components together, then you should have no problem because you're able to adapt and respond in the situation. Um, in, in saying that, it's always good to have a player, you know exactly what they'll do, and you'll beat them that way, but it doesn't seem to be happening as much anymore because players are getting better and better and better and more smart, I guess, more skillful, um, physically better and able, um, can run and can, can make runs harder. So. Um, it just improves or enforces you to improve all the facets of your game and, and reevaluate, I guess. Well, that's the thing, because I suppose you, the, what makes you so strong and carry so strong is that you can play a running game and also a kicking game, and maybe potentially some of the more defensive teams only had a running game, so they were a little mm. bit more predictable. Yeah, but well, I think there's, there's, there's obviously strengths uh, to, to different styles of play that you have. You know, if you go more compact and you squeeze space. Teams might have less opportunity to score, but then at the same time, you don't have as many offensive bodies up the other side, so it makes it easier for them to defend. So you're trying to get that balance of, yes, you know, we had experience in 2014 and not doing so great defensively and getting our just rewards. And then we've had, obviously, you know, experiences of doing very well defensively, giving you a platform. You know, so there's a, a fine balance, and in game, sometimes it can look and feel different, and it's up to you to make and the players to make those decisions to make sure the balance is always. Uh, as as balanced as possible. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting trying to in-game decide between you know do we pull back and protect who's playing behind us, who's playing in front of us, and you're trying to evaluate those. It's a very interesting and, and fantastic opportunity to get. Yeah, you mentioned the Donegal game in '14. Like obviously there was devastation after that game. Like in a way, do you think you'd have won the five in a row if you hadn't lost that game? I think it's a very powerful experience to go through because you know certainly myself and a few of the other guys in particular that have been involved in the involved in the team, but but involved heavily in that day. Um, you know, I was playing centre back that day, and again, it's all root cause analysis. Just go back to you know my position was one of the main reasons why they got a couple of goals. So you're you're sort of learning as you go in many ways, and obviously as you move up through the ages, you get a little bit more experienced. Um, would it have happened? Who knows? It would it not have happened? Or would it have had more? Um, but you certainly learn a lot about yourself and about the team, but it also tests your resolve and your hunger and your ability to stay motivated. Um, if that's what you want, and some people have chosen since 2014 that it's not for them or injuries and different things. So it really does test your ability to how much you wanted, I guess. Right, okay. One thing I've noticed about Dublin is you're very good at problem solving. Like, say if things aren't going well at half time, you're very good at fixing them. And like, replayed all Ireland's, you tend to get it right the second day. Is that player-led, or how much of it's player-led? I have it in my head that a lot of it is player-led, but I don't know. Um, yeah, you come in at half time, you just discuss what different people in different positions 
um, finishers as well would discuss and had their uh, opinion on different things. I mean, it's probably a complemented uh, strategy, you know, players' input and then coaches or support or, or the guys looking in from the sideline get the opportunity then and you just find the middle ground, okay, what's the, the one, two or five things you need to fix in the second half? Uh, but certainly there's a, um, a large mental capacity within each of the individual players and then when you mash that into the team environment, then you're getting quite a powerful opportunity to actually go and problem solve and figure things out. And by and large, the things you identify at halftime are the main, you know, uh, say it's an issue or maybe you're getting a bit of joy off something. By and large, what we identify at halftime as a player group from obviously being in the game is not far off what the numbers tell you anyway. So. Um, it's just about trusting that, I guess. Um, obviously, spotting initially, but also trusting then to give the players the autonomy and the power to go and actually execute on, on their words, um, which is obviously a learned skill and an opportunity you only pick up as you get to those really cliff edge moments as well, um, which is lucky enough we've been involved with. So, again, it all kind of combines to give you, I guess, um, a bit of a greater power in that area. Right, okay. I want to ask you before we finish up about Owen Merchant's goal. And what, have you seen him doing that before? Never. And never? Never. At what point did you think he's going to shoot? Because I was thinking someone's going to loop around him now, you know, and it's just going to be a hand pass off. It was sensational stuff. Yeah, well, he, he left me marking two men, um, <laughs> which is what nobody else noticed. But um, he took off, as he does, with his small legs, and he gets up the pitch. Um, I, I have to say, um, I've never seen him score a goal in, in that aspect, but I have seen him um, invest... I don't know, maybe thousands of hours at this stage into himself and his own game. Uh, Skills-wise, absolutely. Mentally, absolutely. His ability, and he's such a young guy, his ability to be so self-aware but also aware of others in terms of his leadership capacity. Um, I'm delighted to see it. I'm delighted to see him get a lot of credit for something that, okay, the skill I maybe haven't seen him do before, but I've seen him do lots in other ways and help other people, and he's, he's a giver. Um, which is the main thing about him. Um, he's not really a taker in that respect. So, loads of years to go from some so excited to yeah. see him. And obviously, from a Nafina point of view, you have Conor McHugh and you have Aaron Byrne. Wasn't as good against Monaghan, but was very good when he came on the two days before that. And Desi, obviously, is manager. So, like, I mean, Nafina is firmly on the map. Um, if I don't get my game now, really, uh, <laughs> I really know excuse. Uh, it, it, it's, it's great, you know, Nafina is. You know, we have such fantastic leadership in the club itself and it's such a massive uh, club and it's just trying to harness all the young people and the talent there versus then at the cutting edge or at the top edge trying to then lend ourselves towards the county and the, everything else. So it's great to have Desi involved, it's great to have some of the other lads involved and I know there's a couple of younger guys again who want to be involved in the future so it's trying to you know, earn the opportunity and earn that um, respect to give you, I guess, if you want to get it, give you opportunities to play for Dublin. And, and do different things in that in that area. Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, best of luck for the year, and we'll see you back, I'm sure, before the league finishes. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Thank you. Yeah, somebody said it's as ugly as Marty Morris here for bots. We probably in fairness, he wouldn't know a penalty if it bit him in the arse. I mean, what is the point of this? They swear allegiance to the cult of Cairn. But I'll tell you what, you can forget about Sean Kavanagh as far as he's a man. Is managing Mead at some stage in for the rest of your life a pebble in your shoe that you want to get out? <laughs> no, I think I've got over that. <laughs> Have you? Uh, if I went to do that, sure, who'd keep Manners and Joe Bradley on the Sunday game? And <laughs> you couldn't expose the nation to him on his own, could you? So predictions, lads. There's only three games this weekend. The big one is the Division 2 game between Leash and Cavan. Um, that's changed. It was 1pm. I've noticed it's 2pm now, right? So I could <laughs> easily... written this down. Is I w- <laughs> just in case you decide to go to Super Value for some cans. <laughs> but at least I know. Well, I'd be early for this one. Oh, oh you'd be yeah. Get your parents for the dinner on Sunday at 12. No, is that the... Oh, yeah. Well, I can go now, yeah. But I've Galway tip in the hurling, lads. So I'm torn between right. this uh, Leash Cavan and tip Galway in the hurling. So I'll have to see what I'm going to do. I might... Uh, well, there's Wexford and Kilkenny on the deferred game anyways I'll stop talking about hurling now <laughs> please do um, the football show so there's Division 3 game then Loudon Offaly that's in Drogheda at 1 and Division 4 game is Wicklow and Sligo that's in Ockram um, and that's at 1 o'clock as well so they're the deferred games although there's it's forecast for another storm this Sunday Dennis is this weekend Dennis yeah. this weekend I don't think so it's going to be as bad as Storm Kira though so. no so I was thinking if there's more deferred games remember last year it happens every year they've only got two weeks to play with during yeah. the league and during the time of the season where it's just the most terrible weather and, you know, pitches and everything and they don't have much regal room. They're lucky that this week 
the cancellation was the week before yeah. the, the off week that they're able to do it. So there's a bit of news with Leash. It's, it's very unlucky for Leash, really, because um, Leash obviously were supposed to have a free weekend this weekend, and there's another 20 uh, championship game fixed. For, for this Saturday. So Mark Barry and Shauna Flynn, her two guaranteed starters with Leash this year, they are, they are, um, well, they have a decision to make. It'd be unlu- un- unlucky for them to have to play Saturday and Sunday. They're two very important players for Leash. Are, are they going to have to say sorry to the under-20s and play with the, the league game? It's a, it's, it's a difficult one for them, for a position for them to, to have been put in because, like, I mean, the seniors can't really do without them. I was looking at last year's championship team Lads, Leash are missing from the team that lost to Cork and Thurless. Leash are down. Obviously, the three players that aren't available is Stephen Attright and Stu Kingston's. Garrett Dillon hasn't committed to this year that I didn't know about. So there's four players starting from last year that that um, that didn't play. Add in Danny O'Reilly, add in Colin Begley, and add in Martin Scully that all started that day against Cork. Mm. You're down seven starters from your championship team last year, and they're still going well. You're not sure, like. Listen, I still stick by, I don't think Leach will go down now after the start that they've had, but you'd still stick by your thing where your kind of analysis at the start of league where you'd just be happy that Leach kind of stay in this division. It's, in, it's, it's, it's just incredible the start they've had considering the players that they're down. Mm. And it actually, it sort of sums up Division 2 because I was looking at this weekend and if they win, they go top and if they lose, they go fifth. Well, that's it, yeah. It's unbelievable. Like, How things know, change so quickly. Basic, yeah, and just on the under-20 thing, like I think it's always a tough one, and obviously like the lads to be able to play with their teammates and stuff like that, but if they're ready for senior, they're ready. Like, and If you took it to a bigger scale, this is David Clifford, you, you wouldn't really expect him to be playing the under-20 match when he's available to play for the seniors. It's just like, you know, when you're ready, you're ready. Yeah, like, yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's tough. Dennis Booth is another one who started against Cork last year. He's he's <coughs> injured. So Martin Scully, Danny O'Reilly and Dennis Booth, the three of them are all coming back from injury. So um, uh, Quirk has had to find some new defenders. So he found uh, Garod Hanrahan. Funny enough, I came on Garod Hanrahan um, in the intermediates this year. He plays from Outmelech. He was full back. He's a big physical fella. Like he's aggressive. I scored a pint off him in three minutes. So based off those mats, I would have scored 17 yeah. off him in the... Pint for pint. Yeah, but he's a, he's a new find and he's an aggressive type of player. I thought myself kind of marking him that day. I said, Jesus, there's a bit of aggression in this lad. You know that uh, you I only got a point off him. You must be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Did, uh, Brian Byrne from Great Cullen the last day who plays wing forward for Greg Cullen lads and he played corner back the last day so again got a point Quirky's listening to this show <laughs> got a point play an attack minded player in corner back isn't that what we're all saying <laughs> yeah. now and let's put manners on these teams dropping out dropping out a player um, they've a really young half back line now Leash have with Sean O'Flynn who's from Courtwood he's only 19 Robbie Piggott who um, is a big combative type of player he was there last year and Paddy O'Sullivan who's a who's a speed demon Port Harrington are dominating the Leash team now they have Robbie Piggott, Paddy O'Sullivan, Sean Byrne and they have uh, Colin Murphy. So they have four players on the team. They're the biggest threat within Leash for Port Leash. They're the one club Port Leash would be privately a little bit concerned about that are going to, like they they won a a good bit underage and now they're starting to backbone um, the senior team. So suppose them coming up um, has helped Leash as well. You know, good players coming out of that club has helped Leash pretty much uh, kind of keep potentially a Division 2 level even though loads yeah. of, loads of w- well-known players on the Leash team have all kind of gone they've lost a few but the, the, even the spine of the Leash team looks like kind of relatively familiar just looking there Mark Timmins Kieran Lillis John O'Loughlin and then you have Evan O'Carroll in the full forward line as well so they've a strong enough spine but and I think you might have mentioned this before what I found refreshing from uh, Michael Quirk and now I know he has to do this but like there was no mention of the players that were gone there was no mention yeah. of the Kick- Kingstons or Stephen Atroyd it was like we have what we have and we're going to do what we can with them so like it, listen it's early days they could be putting a lot into the early stages of the league they have to like because I suppose if they were going to get relegated then they'd be in danger of going down to tier 2 and we talked I think before about like the danger of putting too much into the league and then you're kind of uh, busted flush come championship but uh, I know positive signs so far and as as Colin said I think if they, if they win this weekend they're top and 5 points at this stage considering how much of a bloodbath 
Division two is. Oh, if they're five points, if they're five points, if they're five points, they're safe. Yeah, the five yeah. points from from three games, they're safe because they might pick something else up. I think they'll beat Cavan at the weekend, even though the last two times they played Cavan in the league, they lost both home and away. But that was a much better Cavan team um, that they were losing to maybe three years ago. I think it was fifteen, sixteen. They lost to them um, in the league home, fifteen and away. Um, in 16 we know Cavan are decimated I think uh, Porrick Faulkner versus Evan O'Carroll will be the, the matchup of the mm. of the, whoever comes out on top of that Evan is just so important to Leash both as a ball winner and as a scorer um, Cavan had 13 different scorers against Westmead we know the way they play they've no marquee forwards they've no top level forwards and that's no disrespect inside forwards I'm talking about Martin O'Reilly obviously is still there he's top notch at centre half forward but they just attack from everywhere and, yeah. that, and they, they make the game disorganised and maybe that contributes to the, to the kind of classics they're involved in against Armagh and against Westmead the last time because it's just helter-skelter. You know what I mean? There's lads picking up lads that they're not supposed to be on all over the field because yeah. Cavan have to attack from everywhere because they don't have, you know, probably the quality to play more of maybe of a, a kicking game and let them, you know, maybe like Leash with Evan and Colin yeah. Murphy inside. And like they got six points from play the last day from defence, you know, and that's, yeah. that's not including the goalkeeper who were taking the freeze. So, um, and like they've brought Oshin Kiernan back to wing back, they've got Kieran Brady at centre back. So they do have, it's a strong sort of defence that they have there but people yeah. who can attack and Smith over. wing back is a very yeah. he's very he was a brilliant underage player and he's a good attacking half back as well so look we talked about Monaghan picking the very attacking half back line this is the way to go have scorers all over your yeah. team mm. if obviously if you don't have the the inside forwards and then it's, it boils it down to work rate then a lot of I know you need more than that going forward but like you know like that, that's a big chunk of, of what any team needs like, and when you can get everybody working to a plan and if, if that is coming back and going forward together and just trying to score from all over then yeah. that's a good starting point I don't like it Yeah, I don't like the idea that we all go up together then we all defend together I hate it actually but I can understand why Cavan would do <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. that's the reality of it it makes sense for their tactics so who will we go for here lads Leash at home to Cavan um, I'm going for Leash anyways and I bet you the first week I've tipped them they're going to lose, <laughs> gonna lose. I'll go for Leash as well uh, Leash and then sure if they win they're looking at getting promoted then will they into Division 1 we can Ooh. dream yeah we can dream right so Division 3 um, Loud versus um, Offaly everyone's talking about Division 2 being this bloodbath and the reason that is a bit like the Leinster Championship oh it's shite because Dublin win it every year Cork are going to get promoted we all know that after Cork it's a bloodbath they all want to get up along with Cork and avoid Tier 2 so we've Longford on 5 points Derry on 3 Down on 3 Tipperary on 3 and Offaly are on 1 but Offaly have a game in hand and can go if they beat Loud who are bottom they can go up on 3 so potentially if Offaly beat Loud this weekend you're looking at Longford on 3 Derry on 3 Down on 3 Tipperary on 3 Offaly on 3 that's the most incredible league national league ever here isn't it now Cork shouldn't be in that division we know that they're too good way too good they will probably finish on 12 points but uh, you would not be able to guess who's going to go up with them and who's going to avoid the tier 2 and just remember last wasn't it the last game of the league last year where Offaly survived by virtue of their head to head against Carlo and they beat Sligo I think by a point because didn't one of their forwards go and kick the ball away uh, when the keeper had it on the tee yeah so uh, yeah as you said we keep going on about division 2 but division 3 could be exactly the same whether uh, whether Offaly I I don't know I I don't know whether I tipped them to go down or not at the beginning so I don't want to roll back on that but uh, if you know if they don't get a result this weekend it's going to be tight for them No it definitely the thing about Offaly was I remember last year they struggled to avoid relegation but did a lot of close calls and I don't know what it is about Offaly because at the Longford game I was listening to John Mohan after that um, he was talking to Midlands Radio and he was kicking himself that they didn't win that game again they had chances to win it they had a goal chance and it seems to be a regular team with Offaly not being able to get over the line in close games you know which is not really a trait that you want in a team like we know that they're a good footballing team we know that they have a nice balance they play a good kicking game they play a John Mahon style of football almost like a throwback but I think that type of football is coming back yeah. and they have inside forwards Bernard Allen Anton O'Sullivan and Keane Johnson Keane Johnson hasn't been setting the world alight unfortunately because we're, we're uh, definitely keeping our eye out for him but he's been taken off he's taken off after 33 minutes the last day for Conor McNamee they have Shane Horan from Kilmacud Crokes then Rory McNamee and they have Jordan Hayes so that, like we're we're not looking at a team here that is dropping players back behind the ball. We're looking at a kick uh, passing team and we're looking at a team that caused Cork a lot of problems um, down in Parky Keeve, who were by far and away the best team in the in the division and then drew it home to Longford who were the second team in the in the 
in the league. So I think Offaly are a good team at Division 3 level. I think they'll have enough to beat Loud and they'll join the little mini-league um, under under uh, Cork. That's yeah. my prediction. That mini-league scaring me a little bit because I'm just looking at Derry on, on three points as well. They're top of the mini-league at the minute, but, well, Longford are, but... Derry still have to play Cork so it's like right. well that's the thing the, the maximum yeah. they can get is 9 points Down have played enough? Cork yeah so I, I don't know if that's going to be enough and Down beat Derry Derry got a point against the Leitrim who haven't gotten any more points so I'm thinking I'm being pessimistic but I'm thinking they're ruled out sorry to turn this awfully loud discussion <laughs> <laughs> but it Derry. is and Tipperary have been a massive disappointment really the way they've they've been playing you know very and defensive very from defensive. what I've heard yeah and maybe he's looking at Quinn Livens not there we only really have Connor Sweeney who's a top top level forward that, and we have good industrious players around the field and good on the ball maybe he's just thinking let's turn into a Fermanagh who are all good on the ball and have one good you know one yeah. or two it's hard to know what Power's thinking there but they've definitely been a letdown and a letdown really if we're being honest since the All-Ireland semi-final that year that they didn't they just didn't push on and no. look they're not a they're not a, a traditional county and they probably have their own battles within Tipperary you know and, and stuff like that and it's probably difficult for them to stay going I just wonder about the, the mentality in Louth now at the minute because when you look at it from the outside it's like they lost way too long for it a lot of people do they lost by a point to Tipperary it doesn't seem that bad but yeah but they were six up against Tipperary with, in the closing stages and Tip didn't even score a goal and they came back and won and like that's just an implosion like, and, and then I was just digging into the forums on Hogan stand and stuff see what the, the Lowe fans are saying and you know, they're giving out about some decisions Paul Matthews coming off from half forward people were wondering what the hell was that about apparently that was a big turning point for them so right. there just seems to be even though on the surface after two games it doesn't seem that bad just doesn't seem to be a good vibe. Yeah. The they're coming off the back of a very demoralising summer last year as well. So when yeah. you're not when, when like like when losing no more than winning is a habit, and you know, yeah, and when yeah. they're in tight games like that, it's kind of in, invariably until they kind of arrest the slide, it's going to go that way. Like. We saw it with Sligo too; just went into free fall, you know, and like yeah. you, you can go down division. The divisions very fast. It's happened. Leash has happened. Westmead. It's happened. Uh, like Sligo, like I said, Derry. It's happened. Derry. Derry. All these teams can go down, and you wouldn't be surprised if Loud find, found themselves. Then again. And look, loud on the positive, loud beat awfully. They're on two. They're a point off all this. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a bloodbath as well. There's no doubt about that. The vi- who are we going for here? I'm going to go for awfully, lads. I don't know about you two. Awfully too. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to go awfully. Okay, so Division Four is Wicklow uh, versus Sligo in Ockram. Sligo are on second with four points. Limerick are, are leading this division, um, lads. And Sligo, if they beat Wicklow away, will join them on six points. And then again. Um, three teams in the mix on four points um, you have Wexford Antrim and like I said Sligo so Sligo can get out of that if Wicklow win it would put them on four points with Wexford Sligo and Antrim with Limerick on the top at the top of the league all the leagues are, are exciting lads mm. like all the leagues usually in division one, four you have two teams I remember with Banty uh, with Wexford and Westmead they ran yeah. clear Leash and Carlo ran clear there's no one really running clear of this one you know Limerick are decent but I don't think they'll run clear like you know those other teams will I don't think they're yeah. of the quality where you say geez, they're definitely going up this is another one where it's impossible to really predict what two are going to go up just with uh, if Sligo I think if Sligo win this weekend they're on six points and a very healthy scoring difference as well so um, I suppose if anyone was to run away with it they might be in a position to because I know I always thought that uh, Sligo I didn't have them as much more of a Division 3 than a th- Division 3 team but I never thought they were a Division 4 team but then again they're going to Ockram the, the toughest place to go this weekend yeah. so <laughs> you know that'd be a real morale booster and you know Paul Taylor one. is talking about the fortress it, it? it's, it's <laughs> one of the greatest false cliches of ever like yeah. I mean I want to do some breakdown of the stats of how this is based off history and Mick O'Dwyer brought it back where he won beat a few uh, of the Ulster teams wasn't it down in Cavan or whatever in Ockram and now the fortress was back (laughs) yeah they're Division 4 team their home (laughs) ground is not a fortress (laughs) that's why they're in Division 4 I do remember remember the leagues were like 1A 1B 2A 2B a while back I remember Derry used to always have Wicklow in their division and always struggled when it was in Ockram so like I know it's a cliche but in my head it's like that's a really tough place to go <laughs> even though it was it's never, the ultimate tough yeah, place it was, never, it was never packed or anything like that yeah, you know, it's, it's not It's not a matter of that it's a little bit boggy and look listen we've talked before about different places that are not like Newbridge and Kildare is a very obvious one it's not a nice place to go because the pitch is so tight if it's a little bit unusual then yeah. it's you yeah. know it's not necessary. It, well, I, Kildare are very difficult to beat. Maybe the te- home teams just think they won't be beaten there or whatever. They know the the yardage on the 
on the pitch. I don't know what I'm talking about. Here. <laughs> well, um, there's been a cut no more than the the Wicklow games you're on about. I think Newbridge has, has not just saying this because I'm from Mayo, but I think that has helped the kind of myth of Newbridge as well. Newbridge and nowhere and the fact that it's so tight and the cr- cr- crowd are on top of you. I think it, their grounds with character as much as anything else. Then you know that the stats actually back them up. Do you yeah, know, I'd yeah, say character. if you're to deep dive into them, I'd say they're not actually that much of a fortress. Yeah, probably not. So um, who do we think is going to win this one? Like, I mean, Wicklow beat Waterford um, the last day and their manager Burke was talking about a leadership group Darren Hayden Dean Healy Rory Finn pulled everyone together at half time of that game he said they got us all in a room and said isn't it funny the manager saying they got us all in a room <laughs> <laughs> we just went along they got us all in a room and says look this is what we need to do boys when we get into these positions we have good players and a good squad we know we'll get ahead of teams let's start managing it better it was player driven and like Johnny Cooper talking about their squad being player driven often as well and like it is important at every level of the game even at club level I'm always of the opinion that there are there's no better analysts of a game than the players who are playing the game they're on pitch level they have the bird's eye view who's winning the midfield battle half backs will tell you that midfielders might like not like to admit it <laughs> you know who's winning the breaking ball why is that happening all these things like I mean seriously if managers don't pick like I'd be going for little walks with all different players in different lines of the field asking how did you think that went or whatever. I don't think that's a sign of weakness if, you have a, if you're a strong grasp on everything yourself but picking their brains lads Jesus it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a smart thing to do yeah, no, I agree. Um, 100%. Okay, right, we're all agreed on that. Is that it's, a great way, it's a great way to finish the show. Right, that's it. That's always time Will for... we pick a winner for this game? Oh, do you want to pick a winner? Jeez, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Sligo. Yeah, keep with the keep with the conic men. Sligo. Sligo. We've yeah. agreed on every second one, lads. So that's the way that's the way it works. Right. Okay. We'll be back. Well, we might be back on Monday. I'll see whether I go to Leach Cavan or not, or whether I watch the the hurling show. Two p.m. <laughs> right, we'll definitely be back the following Thursday before the next round of league. So we'll talk to you then. Good luck. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and. Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f- shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f- houses for f- 10 years. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.